Lord, we just thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your spirit who leads us in truth. Lord, thank you for what you've given Tony to share this morning. But even more important, what you want to speak to us. Lord, we realize that sometimes it's one word that triggers something that you want to say. And so we're open to you. We say, Holy Spirit, you lead us into truth. Do that this morning. And also pour your anointing on Tony as he shares in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, I really felt that um, the last service we had an experience of the presence of God. And uh, the same presence is here now. Uh, The words that have been coming from the microphone already tell us that God's got something to say and God's got something to do. So let's get ready for what he says to your hearts as we receive him. The topic that we've been working through this last number of weeks has been called Redigging the Wells of Healing. And that's really important because as we just had that prophetic word saying God doesn't change, he hasn't changed in the area of healing. The same Jesus who was healing in the time when he walked on the earth, is healing today. And we want to re-dig those wells and understand the principles that are going on for us so that we can, can participate in what God is doing, how we can bring our faith and the authority that we've been given to release the kingdom of God for someone's life. I might recap, because we have a few visitors here today, as to what we've been doing in a series in covering these following topics. Firstly, we started looking at that healing and miracles confirm the proclamation of the gospel. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, Jesus said to his disciples, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then in verse 20, and they went out and they preached everywhere, Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. And that's what we will want to be doing. We will want to be going. Somebody's got to go. And we're asking that God goes with us as we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. Healing is a manifestation of the presence of the spirit of God. It's not a manifestation of me. I don't have a gift of healing. I'm letting you know straight up, I've never healed anybody. And I never will. Because it's only him who heals. And I bring my faith to what God is doing and ask that God heals when I'm present. And I can just participate in that. So because I don't have any Uh, impact on whether a person's healed or isn't healed, I can't claim responsibility or I can't claim a lack of responsibility when it comes to whether a person gets healed or not. Jesus is the person who heals. It's his power. And I just bring my faith to that. We also looked in uh, the past weeks at a foundational belief out of Exodus 15.26 that God is a healer. It's carried all the way through the scriptures. There's no sickness in creation. There's no sickness in heaven at the end. So in the intervening period between, we have to deal with the outcomes of sin. 
and sin's nature. Jesus came to establish the kingdom on earth and he healed people to give evidence of the inbreaking kingdom of God on earth. And he broke the rule of Satan and came against sin's outcomes. Another thing that we've looked at in the last few weeks is the filters we as Christians or people who read the Bible use or when we listen to the Bible being preached. We have filters which stop us from accepting or um, relying on a truth. So there are things that affect our view of the Bible, our history, our postmodernism thinking, our long-standing philosophies. They can all diminish the conviction that God heals today. And then in this last section of um, topics, Russ has been speaking to us about the ingredients for the supernatural, which includes God's presence, faith in God, relationship with God, and obedience to God. And he's covered the first two. We're having a little break. I'm going to speak. Then Lance is going to be speaking around the area of demonization. And then Russ is going to come back to the two last parts of this relationship with God and obedience to God. My topic today is called healing the whole person. We're going to start by looking at a passage where Jesus heals an observable physical problem and then draws people to, prove, uh, to believe from that proof that he can heal the inner problems. So we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 9 verses 1 through 8 where it says, So he got into the boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and he departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw him, or saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given them had given such power to men. So Jesus asks the question, which is easier to say? Do I say, your sins are forgiven, which is an internal thing that nobody can see, but for this man, his sins being forgiven is an eternal consequence. He's, he receives eternal life, the forgiveness of God. And, or to say to him, well, arise, this is a physical problem, I can do that in front of you. He does the physical healing first and says, right, let's move on from that so that you can believe that I can also give a person eternal life. And that's the objective. That's our, what we participate in, is trying to help people see the kingdom of God for eternity. And God confirms it through these signs and wonders. Saying that, someone in this room has to have faith. Someone in a prayer encounter has to have faith to believe in who Jesus is, what he can do, what his power is, what his glory is, what his purpose is. And we have to take the authority that's been offered us through the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where it says, there, um, 
It says, All authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples. So the person who expresses faith, it might be the person who's ill and needs healing. It might be us, the person who prays. It might be a, a, an act of Jesus just on his own, just healing someone. But in the biblical accounts, someone expresses faith. We're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 8 about the lady who had a bleeding issue that existed for 12 years. Now, it's been covered a couple of times, but I just want to go into it a little bit deeper, if I can. I've just so enjoyed meditating on this for the last six weeks. It's so inspired me to trust God in this area of healing. Because Jesus, when he encounters this woman, he delivers to her not only a healing in her body, but also a healing in her social connection to her community, to her spirit with eternal peace. He brings to her healing for her emotions and he brings healing for her in her relationship. Her whole person was healed. It's just a great passage to meditate on. So let's read Luke 8. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately the flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say... Who touched me? But Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. For I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. And she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she had been healed immediately. Jesus heals the known sickness. We might call that the fruit. But he also, in this passage, heals the root. And we're going to come to that root in a moment. But I want to give you a little backstory to why this woman came to Jesus in the first place. She was at the end of a medical treatment and was no better. And I'm not um, saying anything about the medical practice and, and uh, the profession at all. What I am saying here is there is a distinction between Jesus as God and he is not a doctor. He is God. And she came to him knowing that distinction. He wasn't on a life journey to discover better treatments and care while doing no harm to the patient. He is God. And her understanding pushed her through the crowd to touch his garment. Previously, two chapters back in Luke chapter 6, we read about Jesus in front of the crowds. And it says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem. And from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, 
for power went out from him and he healed them all. Now, this was the common knowledge. If you could just touch Jesus, you could be healed. And this is what drove her. This was her thinking. She's saying, this is my chance. This is God incarnate in front of me, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. He isn't a religious leader. He's not an evangelist or not even a televangelist. He's not even a doctor because she doesn't have to pay a tithe, give a donation or rely on bulk billing. This is somewhere in my notes. <laughs> Up there. Okay. I've got to get that pen out again. I've done that bit. And so she pushed her way through the crowd to touch his clothes and touch his power. Let's dwell a little bit on that power because I think it's so significant and um, it makes a difference if we understand about that power. Alongside his identity as the essence of God, his power helps us understand something about supernatural healing. Supernatural healing is a power encounter. One power wins, one power loses. Supernatural healing is a power and it comes from Jesus. And it start and you can see it emerging as Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert of temptation. Before that time his power was within. He goes into the desert and then it says in Luke chapter 4 verses 15 as he comes out of the desert then Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding regions and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. Something was happening. People could tell the difference between Jesus before he goes into the desert and the Jesus who came out of the desert. He goes from there into another synagogue and it says that he proclaims Isaiah 61, which we see in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, before he starts his ministry, proclaims right from the start to the crowds of Israel and to all the demonic realms and principalities it's game on. The kingdom of God is here. It's going to be revealed in a way that you've never seen before. This is the Jesus. Yeah. A spiritual bomb just went off. And the, the cloud goes up. The declaration is made. And now the power, the force of that explosion is about to go out into all the regions and touch the people and change the demonic realm's power from then on. And we have the benefit of that. There is healing in Jesus and this woman knows it. And so she pushes forward. And not only does she experience the power of God, but because of verse 45, I believe she finds more, much, much more. It says, who touched me? 
Somebody touched me, for I perceive power or virtue has gone out from me. The new translations say power, dynamos. But the, the King James says the word that gives us the understanding that it's a virtue. Let me explain that. A virtue is inherent power. Power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature, or which a person or a thing exerts and puts forth. Jesus has inherent power. His power abides because he is the same essence as the Father, and he shares all his virtues. When someone takes power or virtue, Jesus feels this download coming out of him. Someone's drawing more of the essence of God from him, not just the power for healing. Now, why do I make this point? Because there's more to Jesus. There's more to Jesus than just his power. When we come to worship, there's more to Jesus than just his power. He is the essence of God. Worship him for who he is. This was no ordinary bump in the crowd. Someone took a download from him which was outstanding. When anyone did do something like that, Jesus pointed them out. This woman, the centurion, when he said, you just say the word and your authority is enough for my servant to be healed. Jesus would stop the crowd. Wait a minute. Pump the brakes. Hold up. I've just seen something that I've been looking for in all of Israel. An expression of faith in God through me. And that's what was so outstanding about this woman. She drew from him what he wanted to give. Let's look a little bit more at the roots, which I said that we'd look at. Where we see someone's body, soul and spirit being healed. Um, my son's here, so he knows the state of my driveway, and I can walk down and kick weeds out of it as I walk, uh, and, but I'm only kicking the tops off. And I know that if I come back in six weeks, that weed will still be there because it will have grown back because I never took care of the root. Jesus deals with the root, and I'll tell you why I think that. Jesus turns to this woman and he calls her daughter. This is the only time this particular version of the word daughter is used. It's not like this is a female child, daughter. This, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, is used in the vocative, kindly sense. It's used to call her a daughter of God an acceptable daughter to God. Some, someone who can rejoice in God's peculiar care and protection. In that moment, when Jesus calls her daughter, he's healing within her any sense of low self-esteem, any damage to her person, um, in her, um, so any sense of unworthiness or self-loathing any unworthiness, non, any non-acceptance. And I think that was the root that Jesus just drew out of her. I'm withdrawing from you this root of non-acceptance. You're a daughter. You're acceptable to God. 
This is going to change you. That's the opposite reaction if a, one of the Pharisees or the scribes or one of those guys who were very holy, because she was an unclean woman. She couldn't touch anyone. She had a bleeding issue that made her exempt from normal fellowship in a church or a synagogue or whatever, community. She had to live outside that. And anybody she touched, she made them unclean. Jesus didn't react to that. He responded as God and reinstated her because you can't touch the essence of God and change it. The essence of God changes you. She touches him. She gets changed by the essence of God. And he says, daughter, you're acceptable. I've just withdrawn from you that root of non-acceptance. I think it's just wonderful because as he does that, he reinstates her to a community. He says to that crowd around her who all had to stop for that moment, this woman, she is now an acceptable daughter. I want you to draw her back into your community. She's been living outside of her so long. It's time to bring her in. So he reinstates her to that level of fellowship with her community. There's another route that Jesus addresses, that of being a victim. A person who, I think um, it's a huge problem, and I see it particularly here in Tassie because of our heritage, this area of being a victim. And it's a soul sickness. Let me explain what I mean by soul sickness. I see a description of sin sickness, spirit sickness, and soul sickness. Sin sickness is what we're born with. It's why we need eternal life. It's a sickness that we cannot deal with ourselves. Only God can deal with that. And he does it several times. You heard it in that passage from Matthew. He says, your sins are forgiven. He said, your sins are forgiven to the woman who cried over him, weeping, 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 and drying his feet with her hair and then pouring alabaster. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Because he knew that she understood that her sin was separating her from God. And she loved him so much because he took away her eternal damnation. Sin sickness. Sickness in the body causes pain and suffering. But sin sickness is an eternal torment. I had a phone call uh, last week from a, a young fellow I know from, Lon from Launceston who's gone to Melbourne and is in a mental health institution. And he rang me and he said, would you please pray that God would kill me? What do you mean? He said, would you pray that God kills me? I can't take it anymore. I've had enough. I am so... Uh, my world is so terrible. I am constantly in pain and my... I'm in torment, and then when the torment increases, I get all the voices because of multiple personalities or demonic or whatever. He's just beside himself, and he says, please, will you just pray that God would kill me? And I remember hanging up from that phone call and talking to Fiona and saying, that would have to be the most vivid description I've had of someone who's living in hell. And hell is an ongoing, never-ending torment that goes on and on and on, and there is no relief. And it just inspires me to think, we've got to preach the gospel. Because people 
And I think about a friend of mine who just got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer last week. Unless something happens where he hears and receives the forgiveness of God, that torment is his his inheritance. And I don't want to see that for him. So I'm praying, God, how can I introduce, how can I have a topic with him? How can I bring up salvation? So that's sin sickness. And thanks to God that we're saved from sin sin sickness through Jesus Christ. This lady wasn't affected by demonisation. The next level is spirit sickness. Spirit sickness is not the sins I'm born with, but the sins that I commit. And the last one is soul sickness. Soul sickness is the sins committed against me or the traumatic experiences that I may go through as a person. In soul sickness, we might get trapped in unreasonable fears and depression anxieties and inferiority complexes, as well as any other manifestations. But the healing of soul sickness heals our emotions, our memories, and as well as any other generational issues. We can see that this is a healing of soul sickness because of the words that Jesus says to her. Be of good cheer. That word cheer can also be interpreted courage. See, she'd lost Joy, peace, strength. She'd lost her courage. She lived in fear. She'd lost, she was living under the, the realm of sickness. And it was impacting on her. And Jesus says, no, be of good cheer. He's reinstating her. He just pulls out that root of living under that realm and reinstates her and says, be of good courage. Be of good courage. Jesus heals her, and I think he allows her to feel again. That's the thing about a soul sickness. You start to harden your soul to experiences or people or things. And he says, no, no, I want you to feel. I want you to come back to the place of cheer and courage. He wants to reinstate her and give her back joy and to have peace. There's a book by David Siemens that talks about healing for damaged emotions. And he talks about four H's. These H's are hurts, humiliation, horrors, and hates. Let me explain them a little bit more. Hurts are things like being rejected and being abandoned. Humiliation includes things like being severely embarrassed having shame, having inferiority, feelings of inadequacy. Horrors include things like being under the realm of fear, anxiety or terror. And hates include resentment, being a bitter person, being an unforgiving person having to be under the realm of anger or rage. But Jesus can heal all of those things. When Jesus says to her, be of good cheer, he heals her soul and he allows her to feel joy again. In Proverbs 17:22, it says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. 
In Proverbs 15 and 15, it says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is a merry heart has a continual feast. What Jesus wants to give her back is a continual feast of joy, a life that's different than her past. Jesus also says to her, Your faith has made you well. And Russ has covered this in previous weeks. He's not saying her own ability to believe made her well. Her faith brought her to Jesus. Jesus is the healer. He is the one that made her well. She expressed her faith in him by coming to him. She had been expressing faith in the doctors by going to them. And that faith dwindled because she wasn't being healed. But this occasion, she comes to Jesus and she touches his garment and her life changes forever. If she could have had enough faith, she wouldn't have waited 12 years to get healed. She would have healed herself before that. During that time, her faith took her to many musicians. (laughs) Well, I think that might help with a merry heart. (laughs) But he healed Jesus, healed her body and her relationships and her social standing and her afflicted soul. And he says to her finally, go in peace. How do you get lasting peace? You come to Jesus and he gives you eternal life. He makes you acceptable. He gives you an eternal relationship with the Father in spirit and in truth. So this was a comprehensive healing for this lady and I just loved the time that I spent looking into it. I was so encouraged. And it led me in how to prepare and how to think about how to pray for people. As a leadership team, I'm going to invite them at the end of this service to be aware of anything that God may have put inside them at this particular point that God wants to touch in any of us here in this meeting. And when we pray for you, we're not just praying for the thing that you might come up for. We're asking God to show us, is there something other than the presenting issue? Is there a connection between the body, soul and spirit in this particular time? The illness might present in the body, it might present in the mind, but the root may be somewhere else, maybe in the soul. Whether it's you coming to Jesus in prayer or with the person who's praying for you for a need, the manifestation of God's spirit in that prayer time might start a chain of events for you for a complete healing in mental health, in social reconnection, in a cheerful disposition instead of depression and gloominess, in a deficit of love that you may feel, which is satisfied by the ongoing flow of the love of God. That that prayer time might lead to a recovery of from past episodes of humiliation or restoration after many hurts and rejection and abandonment you experienced. It may replace shame, inadequacy, perfectionism, inferiority and replace it with an assurance of being fully loved and valued. There is no condemnation in Christ. Being rescued from the roots of hatred, Resentment and bitterness and fits of anger by the grace of God can be done by the infilling of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. Recovery from experiences that you may have had which have been horrific 
anxious and very fearful. God wants to heal those. He wants to heal us today and he wants to heal us completely and learn how to reign in life with the peace that only he can give. 3 John chapter 1 and verse 2 sort of in a way summarises what I've been trying to say. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. As your soul prospers, we may prosper in all things and in our health. 